0: Hello and welcome to another unexciting episode of Hashtag Pistons. Um, I'm Joe, I'm your host. Been waiting off on the new podcast until the Pistons hired a new coach. And, alas, wait no more. The Detroit Pistons have hired Dwayne Casey. Um, they've agreed to a supposedly five-year contract worth around $7 million a year, which is approximately what... um, What... Uh, What Stan Van Gundy was making with the team, I believe. That's what it's being reported as, although we don't know exactly what it is. Um, But regardless, Dwayne Casey's the new head coach. Um, So we're going to talk about that a great deal. That's what we were waiting on, Um, just because it was kind of like, you know, figured it'd be any day. It took a little bit longer than perhaps expected, but it all works out in the end. Um, One thing I want to touch on before we get into Dwayne Casey is that a lot of people have been... um, Sort of questioning, complaining about the lack of general manager for the Pistons. And it is very much so my understanding, um, based on some things that I've heard privately and also things that have been said publicly by a bunch of the beat writers and such, is that um, even though his title is not GM, um, this is Ed Stefanski's front office. Like, the, very much so. Him and him are really the big players here. Arn Tellum has been the vice president of the team for the last several years. Um, he's a good friend of Tom Gore's. He was a, he, one of the most powerful agents in in the sport for a very long time. Um, just for anyone who doesn't know, Arn Tellem was, for instance, he was the... Agent for Kobe Bryant, he orchestrated the whole thing where Kobe Bryant didn't work out for other teams and got him to the Lakers, just as an example of something Arn Tellem did. Really, really powerful agent for a very long time. Um, It was often speculated that he was going to be taking a larger role in basketball operations this season. Um, And then Ed Stefanski is the same thing. So even though they do not have anyone who has the title of general manager or the title of... Head of Basketball Operations, um, they have they have the top guys in their front office in place, and um, you know I'd like them to hire a, hire some with the title of general general manager sooner rather than later, but um, it's it's very much so they are not just loitering around like well we've got no general manager herka Um that it's something that they. That, that Ed Stefanski essentially is. So that's something that I wanted to touch on first. Um, So on to Dwayne Casey. Uh, you know, it, what? he wasn't my my first choice, which we'll get into later, but the simple fact of the matter is the Pistons certainly could have done much, much worse than Dwayne Casey. Um, He's a guy who the main reason is that He's a guy who we know that the, there's not going to be some sort of a bad learning curve that he has to deal with, um, which is a, which is worth something uh, because when you consider where this Pistons team is at, unless they make some sort of a radical change this off season, which based on everything that they've said is not going to happen, um, this Pistons team kind of needs to win this next season. Um, even if they're not necessarily all the way there, they kind of have to do it next season. Like they have to show something real next season. Uh, the last two years were derailed by injuries, but there's only so many years where you can use whatever it is as an excuse, even if it is a valid excuse, which injuries are a valid excuse for why your team doesn't do well. That's a very valid excuse. Um, especially when it's to an important player like Reggie Jackson, but there's only so many years you can use that. So they pretty much, they kind of have to win this next season. And so within that, I get why it would be a little bit scary, a little bit frightening to bring in a head coach who's maybe going to have to learn the ropes a little bit for a little while. Um, And that's not going to be the case with Dwayne Casey. They won't have to worry about, essentially, that it's going to take him time to adjust to what exactly is required of an NBA head coach, of what, you know, what the how it is, what it takes to run an NBA team, the amount of effort you have to put in on a nightly basis, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's just something that you is not going to be an issue with Dwayne Casey. And there is value in that. So even though his X's and O's are not always great, which we'll get into later, there is certainly value to the fact that there is not going to be any sort of a learning curve. Dwayne Casey has been coaching for a very very long time. He's been a head coach in the NBA for the last 7 years. He's had a lot of success in that time and he had, he's coming straight off a job from last year. So it's not even like well he's been out of it for a little bit and hopefully he's ready to dive back in. No, he he's he never stopped working. And so that's that's got real value. Um beyond that is that regardless of any schematic issues that I may have with Casey, there's something that can't be denied. The Toronto Raptors were awesome the last five years. Um, Playoff problems aside, uh, they've they've been consistently, honestly, they've been one of the most consistent teams in the entire NBA the last five years. This past season, they were by far the third best team in the NBA. The top three teams in the regular season were the Houston Rockets, the Golden State Warriors, and the Toronto Raptors. For per 100 possessions, the Rockets had a net rating of plus 8.5. The Warriors were plus eight, and the Raptors were 7.6. So, and fourth were the 76ers at 5.4. That's a pretty big drop off. Um, The Raptors were also the only team in the NBA, I believe. Let me double check this. They were the only team in the NBA that was top five in both offensive and defensive efficiency. They were third in offensive, fifth in defensive. They're the only team that can say that, um, and that's been, now, this past year was by far their best, but they've been that sort of a team the last, each of the last five seasons under Dwayne Casey. They've been a really good offensive team. They've been a good defensive team, and, you know, focusing on the defensive end is, that should give Pistons fans quite a bit of hope, is that, um, so let me just, here, let me just do this. A second. Um, so the last five years, okay? Five years ago, Raptors are ninth. This is in defensive efficiency. They're ninth. And then four years ago, they fell down for whatever reason. Their rebounding also fell off that year. I'm not sure why. They fell all the way to 23rd. Um, but there are a few other things that were a little bit outliers that season. Um, so they t- fell 23rd. So you've got ninth, 23rd. 11th, and then two years ago, they were 8th, and then this past year, they were 3rd, okay? And um, then this last year, they were 3rd. So, obviously, that's not, like, utterly spectacular. This past season, that's very... Or not 3rd, they were 5th this last year. Obviously, that's not some spectacular stretch. Um, Coming in 5th is very good. But when you consider the fact that the Raptors were not exactly overflowing with um, with defensive talent, that is a very, very good sign for the Pistons, overflowing with defensive talent. Um, Andre Drummond is very good. Stanley Johnson is very good. But beyond those two, I mean, Blake Griffin, not that good of a defender. Reggie Bullock is fine, but not that good. Luke Kennard, not that good. Reggie Jackson, not that good. Um, move to the bench, same sort of a deal. Uh, John Lure, not that good. Anthony Tolliver is pretty good if he stays. If he leaves, then it's probably Henry Ellinson, not that good. Um, you know, Langston Galloway, not that good. Ish Smith, not that good, et cetera, et cetera. And so, the sort of idea of being able to build a workable defense, even if not an elite one, but a workable defense without necessarily having um really elite defensive abilities is the is um is something that is is something that's important for the Pistons. And for what it's worth this is something that Stan Van Gundy was able to do over the past several years. Um but Casey should be able to continue that. So that's um that's good news for the Pistons. And then on the offensive end, once again despite all of the schematic issues that there were the Raptors were awesome on defense. Um, let me just bring it up a second. Um, over the last five years, here are the Raptors' finishes in offensive efficiency. ninth, 3rd, 5th, 6th, and 3rd. Those are pretty good numbers, people. And when you consider that, it's easy to understand why it is that Dwayne Casey was very hesitant to switch up his offensive scheme. Because the reality is, whoop, there go my keys. <laughs> um, the reality is that they were awesome. They were really good defensively. So, sort of a situation of um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And the and um, so you know within that, it's just it's it's something to keep in mind. I guess is that sometimes ugly offenses can work. And that's okay. Here's the problem with that, of course. There's a reason they fell apart in the playoffs consistently. Um, they, they had no real offensive scheme. They were, before this past year, the Raptors were consistently at the bottom of the NBA in assists per game, in passes per game. They were towards the bottom in three-pointers taken because their offense was, by and large, hey, hey DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry, go do something. And the fact that they were so low in three-point attempts is even more absurd, considering that Kyle Lowry is bombing like seven attempts per game um, off the dribble. So they really, it's really not something he focused on. He's not someone who is consistently focused on um, on shot selection, on generating three-pointers, on really moving the ball, passing the ball, or anything like that. And that is very worrying because. I think this Pistons team, and I've mentioned it before, I've said this complaint, my the reason before what I was saying why I didn't think they should hire Casey, is that this Pistons roster has enough offensive talent to where they could be an elite offensive team. But the pieces are just tricky enough that with the wrong coach, they could be quite mediocre offensively. And I'm worried that Dwayne Casey might be that coach because I'm Blake Griffin is the kind of player that you can't actually just say, hey, Blake, we're just going to have our offense be Blake, go do stuff, and it's actually going to work out okay because Blake Griffin is that kind of a player. When he's healthy, at least, Reggie Jackson is the kind of player that you could just say, we're just going to run pick and rolls with Reggie Jackson and hope he does stuff. Um, so they, at the very least, they do, that does give some hope for that. Um, potential end. But the thing is, first off, Reggie Jackson is good, but he is not quite that good. Um, Second off, is that both of those guys have injury problems, and in particular with Reggie Jackson, even if he doesn't have any injury problems, he's just not a guy who can handle really heavy minutes consistently. So the question becomes, when those guys aren't there to just go, well, to just give the ball, Who's what are you doing on offense? Um, that's been a fairly, I think, at least underrated aspect of um, Demar Derozan and Kyle Lowry. For what it's worth, is that um, not that they, not that either of them have never missed games, but both of them have been pretty consistently healthy over the last several years. Um, they've played, and yeah, they've both been pretty, pretty consistently healthy over the last several years, and there's a lot of value in that. And you can't really count on that with Blake Griffin and Reggie Jackson. Um, there's a very good chance that they're both going to miss 20 games this year or whatever. And um, it's just, that scares me, man. There's, <laughs> there's really no other way to put it. That prospect scares me. And I'm worried that Casey's general sort of hands-off approach to offense is going to result in a lot of the Pistons players sort of reverting to their worst tendencies. Um, I'm worried that it may result in too many Andre Drummond post-ups, too many Blake Griffin just playing isolation away from the hoop, um, too much Reggie Jackson hero ball, not enough plays run to get Reggie Block or Luke Kennard open threes, um, etc. I'm just too much locking Stanley Johnson out of the offense. Um, It's just, these are all things that really worry me. Um, Now, that is not to say that there is not some degree of hope in this regard. Uh, The Raptors really revamped their entire offense this past season, and uh, really, oh, I clicked on the wrong thing. They really revamped their entire offense this past season. Um, They passed the ball more, they had more assists, they shot a lot more threes, they had a much more egalitarian offense, etc. And while the way that it's typically been told is that um, Dwayne Casey was very, uh, he resisted this change quite a bit, but Masai Ujiri, the Raptors general manager, basically told him, this is something that you have to do this year. Like, if you want to keep this job, you must revamp the offense. And then after receiving this demand that Dwayne Casey um, basically put the job of revamping the offense in the hands of assistant coach and now head coach of the Toronto Raptors, Nick Nurse, and that Nick Nurse was the architect for the offense changing. And so that doesn't give me a lot of hope that Dwayne Casey can craft an offense that will be much beyond just, okay, Blake and Reggie, go isolation, and hopefully it works. But hopefully, the hope basically has to be one of two things, okay? Option one would be that Dwayne Casey was not as resistant to the change in the first place, and that when they decided to make the change, that he was actually more involved with the offensive changes than has often been let on. Um, once again, the way most people have told it is that it was Nick Nurse. Nick Nurse did everything with it, and oh, there is a chance, obviously, that maybe that's n- not that true, and that Dwayne Casey was very involved in the offensive changes. So that's one hope. So he was more involved in it. He was not as against it as some people have led on to be. So instead of it being while well, he was he was actually a, he was actually you know from start to finish he was a negative force. for... For that defense, for that offensive change, um, it may well be that actually he was he was on board with it. He was helpful. He was useful. He had a big role in it. Um, so if that's the case, then there's no reason to believe that he couldn't just do the same thing with the Pistons, and you know have an actual offense. The other hope would be that even if he was resistant to it at first, and that um, he didn't necessarily have a lot to do with the initial implementation. But the hope would be that he saw the results that it produced all season last year and that the Raptors had their best season in franchise history, which would result in him even if initially he wasn't that involved in it, he wasn't that big in it, that um, the, that he saw the results and he's able to turn around and then say, okay, I wasn't a fan of this, but I saw the results, so now I'm going to be willing to be a part of this change. And for what it's worth, that wouldn't necessarily be a huge change for the Pistons, but they need to at least build upon um, what they the motion offense stuff that they started to install this past season. So that's sort of the gist with Casey. Um, in the end, I think that the most important thing is still going to be that the Pistons are healthy. I think regardless of whether they kept Stan Van Gundy, they hired Dwayne Casey, they hired... Um, uh, Udoku, is that the guy's name? Crap, I may have already said the guy's name wrong. You know, or whoever else could have been head coach. Um, I think if the Pistons had been healthy this season, they most likely would be good. Um, at least pretty good. Like, I think that's just the reality. And I think that pretty much no matter who's coaching, if they have injury problems, bad injury problems, um, they will be not good. And I don't think Dwayne Casey is changing that. I don't think keeping Stan Van Gundy would have changed that. Um, I don't. Th- I think with most coaches that would not have changed a great deal. So, in the end, that's the most important thing. Um, the other hope is that. So, mostly, I my biggest problem with the Dwayne Casey hiring is that I saw by far Stan Van Gundy's biggest weakness as a coach was. Um, a combination of lack of creativity on offense and also not being willing to make changes quickly enough on the offensive end. And I see that as Dwayne Casey's biggest blind spot, and that for Casey, it's actually a bigger blind spot than it was for Stan Van Gundy. He's even less creative offensively than Van Gundy is, and also is even slower to make changes than Van Gundy is. Um, One thing that could make this a better hire than I think would be if that's actually not the case and something that some people have brought up, a lot of fans certainly seem to think was the case, but that Stan Van Gundy's sort of demeanor and attitude was a bigger problem than I think it was. Uh, And because that's an area where, even though Dwayne Casey's still fairly disciplinarian and in a lot of ways um, similar coach to Stan Van Gundy, the way he goes about it is certainly not the same. Van Gundy is very... I'm look, I like Stan Van Gundy, but there were times where he was he's kind he has a tendency to be kind of a petulant child on the sidelines, for instance. Um and Dwayne Casey will not be that. And so one thing that could give hope to that this is going to be a really positive change is that if actually the majority of the roster was pretty much completely sick of Stan Van Gundy's act and even if schematically it's not an improvement, even if, you know, in all the other areas, it's like this isn't really an improvement. Simply not having to deal with Stan Van Gundy's, you know, just just attitude and his whole thing day in and day out, that may well just have a hugely positive effect on all the players. And I'm somewhat doubtful with that, but there's a chance. So that's another thing that could give us some hope that the Pistons will be able to make this a really positive change. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, there's two more things that I, three more things that I want to touch on beyond um, just to Dwayne Casey hiring. So first thing is something that he mentioned in, uh, in his interview with Stephen A. Smith the other day, which if you haven't listened to, I would recommend it. I don't think highly of Stephen A. Smith at all, but, um, he had, he had, uh, Dwayne Casey on his show for a little bit the other day. You can find the interview, um, on ESPN's podcast section. So you can find the interview on ESPN's podcast section. Um, and it's like partway through, it's like a, I don't know, 10-minute interview, maybe, or something like that. So nothing crazy, but still, if you haven't heard it, I'd recommend looking at it. One of the things that Dwayne Casey said was um, he wanted Blake Griffin, they wanted to help Blake Griffin expand his game in the same way that DeMarta Rosen did this past year. And that's a strange thing to say to me, I mean, I get that there's a certain extent to which I, Dwayne Casey hasn't even started doing anything yet. He's just kind of saying stuff, right? But that's just that's just a strange thing to say to me because um, Blake Griffin is already a much more complete player than DeMar DeRozan is, and even if you're considering three-point shooting, this past season, Blake Griffin shot 5.3 three-pointers a game at 34.8%. Oh, that's actually just with the Pistons. Let me bring up his whole... I think his total season is pretty similar to that. Let me bring it up. Yeah. So, for the entire season, he shot 5.6 three-pointers per game and shot 34.5%. All right? So, actually, his total season, even with the Clippers, is almost identical to what he ended up putting up with the Pistons. right? DeMar DeRozan this past season shot, sorry, I should have had that up, shot 3.6 three-pointers per game and shot 31.2% on them. So, and Blake Griffin is a far superior passer. Um, He's a more efficient scorer, typically. He's a better rebounder. I just, I'm not totally sure what Dwayne Casey means by we can help him expand his game in the same way that DeMar DeRozan did, because Blake Griffin is already a far, and has been, a far more complete offensive player than DeMar DeRozan was, um, so it's just it's just not something that I really get, and I don't know if it's worth really putting anything into it, it just seemed like kind of a strange thing to say. Um, another thing that I'd like to touch on is the whole Andre Drummond jump shooting thing, Um, He's been putting videos up on Instagram and Twitter and such of him um, working on his jump shooting in various forms. Um, I'm not a huge fan of it. I would much rather him focus on um, taking the next step defensively. I'd much rather have him focus on refining his passing abilities and his ability to finish at the hoop with the ball in his hands. Um, Basically, here it comes down to realistic expectations is that creating your own shot, because that seems to be what he's working on is an ability to create his own shot and hit jumpers. Um, creating his own shot, your own shot is the hardest thing that you can do in the NBA. And he, it's not something that he's had like the amount of work that it takes to be able to consistently create your own shot in the NBA is huge. And so I'm not sure that that's a one-off season thing, whereas at the, on the other hand, I think he's close enough to taking that next step defensively. He's close enough to being a really high-level passer at the center position and being a really good finisher at the hoop when he drives occasionally. I think that that is a much those are things are much more worthwhile than him working on his jump shot or anything. Because basically what the worst case scenario would be he's working on his jump shooting so much that he doesn't really come back that much better of a defender than he was last year, which wouldn't be the worst thing. Like he's a, he was he made a good improvement last year on defense. He's a he made he's a good defensive player. But comes back and he's still just good. His passing, his ball handling isn't more refined. But, hey, now he shoots, you know, 34% from three. Like, I don't care if Andre Drummond shoots 34% from three. That's not, I don't think that's really helping the Pistons that much. Um, You're taking a guy whose rebounding is something that opposing teams are absolutely terrified of and making him a mediocre three-point shooter instead. Like, no, I'd rather have him at the hoop. And so, yeah, I really, I'm not a big fan of it, but this all comes with a qualifier of that Andre Drummond has improved every area of his game since he came into the NBA. He does not get nearly enough credit from the wider community for just how much better he has gotten since he arrived in the NBA. He came in so incredibly raw. He was a guy who, if you can't touch the net from where you're standing, don't shoot it. That's what he was when he arrived in the NBA. And he has come so far from that. He is a really well-rounded, complete player. And because of the fact that he has improved in so many areas, there is an extent to which I say, you know what? This isn't what I think he should be doing. This isn't what I would be doing if I were him. This isn't what I would tell him to do if I had any say in it. But if that's really what he's going to do, if he's really committing to doing it, I'm going to wait. I'm going to withhold judgment until we see what the end result is. Um, And also, part of that, admittedly, is that it may well be that he's just kind of doing it for the Instagram videos and such. Like, who knows if he actually tries to do any of this in games next year. So, you know what? I'm going to wait and see. Um, If the end result is, well, Andre Drummond shoots 34% from three, Um, on some spot up looks, I'm going to be not pleased. And if that ends up being the case and he doesn't improve in other areas that need improving, um, then I will be, then I will rag on him a bit, but basically he's improved enough over his career that I'm basically going to say, you know what, he's, I'm not going to be the one to question him until he fails. So, if it comes out and it doesn't work, then I will start to second-guess it. But until then, I'm going to figure, you know what? If anyone can make it work, it's probably him. So, we'll see how that goes. Um, Last thing to touch on, this is a little bit of an older story. Um, I know James Edwards of The Athletic did a bit on it. Um, Without going too far into details, because I think we're a little over a half hour now, right? Yeah, we're just about to a half hour. So, we're not going to go super deep into it. But... Supposedly, the Denver Nuggets are desperately trying to get rid of Kenneth Fareed, and in their attempts to get rid of him, they are supposedly willing to attach their first-round draft pick, which um, I believe is like... Man, I don't actually know exactly where they're picking. It's probably like, what, 15, 16, I would guess. Yeah, because the Pistons pick was 13th. And then the Clippers. The Pistons was 12th. The Clippers is 13th. So yeah, they'd be the 14th pick. Um So supposedly they're shopping that pick. With the um with as a as a sort of bait to get someone to take Kenneth Fareed. Um I'm not sure exactly how desperate they are to get rid of Fareed. Because on one hand, I'm sure they want to get they want to unload his salary, but on the other hand, I think the main reason they want to get rid of him is because he it's been pretty well documented that he's become a little bit of a toxic, um, a toxic guy in the locker room. Um, he's a guy who wants to play and he hasn't played at all, and they just kind of want to get rid of him. Um, I think the Pistons should definitely sniff around that. Uh, Fareed is not a guy that the Pistons really need, but he's on an expiring contract. Uh, the Pistons are very likely going to be in the, in the, um, luxury this season one way or another. Um, so adding some onto that isn't going to make a huge difference. And plus that salary will come off the books at the end of the season. I would say in particular, if you could get, um, the... Nuggets to take back Langston Galloway, for instance. That would actually potentially be something that I'd be really interested in because you'd take another year off of that. Um, I think that the guy the Pistons have that the Nuggets would be most interested in would be um, Ishmith. Now, let me be clear about something. The salary situation would be tricky. Um, The Nuggets are very close. I'm pretty sure they're over the cap next year. No, they're not quite. They're very close, but that's without having signed anybody. So they're going to be right up against the cap. The Pistons obviously are right are quite a bit over the cap. Um yeah, so both of them are going to be over the cap. So it's tricky to get everything set up and we'll see if any sort of anything happens before then or whatever. So I'm not going to get into specific trades, like I'm not bothering to go into the trade machine. I and I've spent some time in it, but I'm not going to bother to give specifics right now because we don't know exactly where things will end up. But I would guess that Smith is probably a guy that they would actually have some amount of interest in. Um, they don't really have a proper backup point guard on the roster, um, and Ishmith would give them that. And also, Smith's high-speed, fast-break style is a really good fit with Denver, um, he's a good locker room guy. They'd be able to leave. They'd be able to unload salary. Um, so Kenneth Fareed makes like, what, 13, just under 14 million. Um, Ishmith makes six. So they'd be able to leave, unload like seven-ish million off their books. And they wouldn't be adding longer term salary since Ishmith is also, um, since Ishmith is also an expiring contract. um. That's something that the Pistons should think about doing. If that's if that's if the Denver is really interested in moving Kenneth Reed and attaching their first round pick, that's something the Pistons should really be interested in. Um, and I'm giving up a Smith would not be totally ideal. That would leave the Pistons as having their backup point guard be either Dwight Bikes, um, whoever they used on one of their two draft picks, or someone else from the bargain bin. But I wouldn't hate that. I mean Dwight Bikes wasn't terrible last year. I could I could live with him being the full-time backup, I think. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe this time next year I'll be feeling very stupid for having that take, but right now, I'd live with it. Um and then and then beyond that, um you get a pick and a first-round pick would be very valuable for the Pistons and I've said this before, but the reason that losing that first-round pick was so painful for the Pistons is not because it's likely to result in some superstar player, right? That's the thing that a lot of people have messed up, okay? Now, look, there's pretty consistently in the second half of the lottery, almost every year, there ends up being one guy who ends up being a really, really good player, Okay. But you know what? It's such a crapshoot. It sucks that the Pistons missed on them like twice and were very close to picking them twice in Devin Booker and um, Donovan Mitchell, but you know what? That's a crapshoot. So the reason that that's bad is not because, well, they're going to miss out on the next Donovan Mitchell. It's that they might miss out on Luke Kennard again. Now, Luke Kennard, I, I, I've i never had made any qualms about this. I think very highly of Luke Kennard. I think he could actually be really, really good. But the potential with their salary cap situation, the potential to add a rotation player on a super cheap contract for the next four years is of a great deal of value to the Detroit Pistons. And so I would be willing to take on Kenneth Farid's contract for a year. If that means that you get a shot at that. And, um, the other thing that would change this a little bit would be if they are able to take Anthony Tol- get Anthony Tolliver back one way or another. Um, if you get Anthony Tolliver back, then it makes less sense because the Pistons would have an absolute overflow of power forwards. Um, Kenneth Freed is obviously not a good as good a fit, um, and also just objectively he's not that good. Um, so he's not that good and he's not a very good fit with the rest of the things the Pistons want to do. But, um, if John Lure is healthy next year, there is a line of thought where having John Lure and Kenneth Freed being your backup front court, and it makes some sense. There's some yin and yang there with John Lure sort of being a pretty skilled, um, big man. Kenneth Freed is sort of a ferocious athlete, strong guy sort of a thing. Um, I could see it working. Uh, once again, obviously freed would be overpaid, but you do it for one year, you get your first-round pick, and then move on. Um, so, we'll see exactly how that turns up. Um, a lot would depend on how badly the Nuggets want to move freed, and if anything the Pistons have. So, like, from the outside looking in, it would make sense to me that even if even if per se, okay, this is often the way that you look at these things, right? Whether or not Smith would be enough to convince them to attach a first-round pick to get rid of Kenneth Freed, we don't know. But from the outside looking in, at the very least, Ishmith is a player, is a guy that the Nuggets would likely be interested in, okay? Beyond that, I'm not sure what else the Pistons have that they would really be able to part with. Like, obviously, the Nuggets would have interest in Reggie Bullock, for instance. Like, basically, every team in the NBA would have interest in Reggie Bullock. Oh, yeah, I'll take an elite shooter who's paid $2 million a year. Uh for this year like obviously any team in the NBA is interested in that but the Pistons don't want to get rid of that don't want to get rid of Reggie Bullock. so I'm not sure what else the Pistons have that they would be all that interested in so maybe Ishmith isn't enough to get them to do that but if the Nuggets are serious if that report is true and the Nuggets are serious about trying to move Kenneth Freed and they're desperate to do it desperate enough to potentially attach their first round pick the Pistons should certainly at least sniff around it so, that's going to be all for today. Um, wow, well, we're almost to 40 minutes. Uh so yeah, stay beautiful everybody and go Pistons.